Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Forwards Leon Dreisaitl and Zach Kastian have been playing well for the Edmonton Oilers of late, scoring regularly as the team tries to claw its way back into the NHL wildcard playoff spot conversation as the regular season ticks down. What have they done to elevate their games? I'm Jim Matheson. I'm Derek Van Deest. And I'm Craig Ellingson. I talked to these beat writers for the Edmonton Journal and the Edmonton Sun about Dreisaitl and Kastian and about the effect Andre Sekra has had on the Oilers' defense since he made his season debut last month, and about the Bakersfield Condors, the Oilers' minor league affiliates that recently claimed a 17-game win streak in the AHL. This is the Oil Spills Podcast for Tuesday, March 5th, 2019. We could talk about this quest to make the playoffs from now. We've been talking about it all year. Can this team make the playoffs? And uh, quite frankly, we'll, we're going to have a whole month of it. So we have about a month left in the schedule. Less than 20 games to go for each team. 17, 16 games left for everybody after uh, Monday's games. Because um, I wanted to talk about Hitchcock and what he said about his team after the Columbus game. That they're a damn good team and they're going to be tough to play against the rest of the year. And well, that remains to be seen. You know, as we sit here right now, they've won three in a row. But, you know, there's certain people that stand out. And obviously the likes of Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl will always stand out since they're the two leading scorers in on a vast majority of the Oilers' goals. But, you know, Leon Dreisaitl has 41 goals. And, you know, he's uh, second in league goal scoring behind Ovechkin right now. Um, and... Clearly, he's he's taken his game up a notch, I would say, since Christmas, or at least this this calendar year. What is Leon Dreisaitl doing differently now than, say, at the beginning of the year? Well, he's, I think his shooting percentage is probably higher than it's been. Uh, he's one-timed a lot of pucks into the net, shooting the puck more than than being a puck distributor on his backhand although he did make a great backhand pass for a Darnell Nurse goal last night, and that was that was the M.O. on, on Darnell play, or on uh, Leon playing junior, that he would look into the glass and see the reflection and see people behind him, and that's how he made so many great backhand passes in junior. So uh, just shooting the puck more, and the puck's, his shooting percentage is higher than it's been. He's got the same stick. He's got one of those paddles for a, like, like a Yermer Yager paddle too, and it doesn't seem to matter what 
part of the stick it's on, there's lots of stick there, lots of blade there to, to shoot it in. And um, Will he score 50? That's still nine goals in 16 games. He's, he's on pace, you know, he seems to score every game now, but that's still nine in the last 16. Still a chore, but uh, it's been a long, long time since anybody got 50 goals for the Oilers. And will he win this, the Morris Richard Trophy? Probably not, because Ovechkin, next thing you know, he'll get two and two and two, and he'll be up to 50. But it's certainly uh, a flip the switch for, for uh, Leon, who's been known as a passer. And that $8.5 million a year now, which everybody decried going into the year and last year as, as, a, as an overpay for the orders, now looks like just a fine salary at 8.5 if he's going to finish in the top half dozen of the league in scoring. Well, I was going to get you 50 goals a year. That's obviously a very good contract for you. Um, the way I see it is, is Drysaddle was a slow start. He's a notorious slow starter, and he admitted he, he started slow. But now he's really kind of, as the season went along, he kind of found his legs and found his game. And, and I know sometimes he gets a knock for being a little lazy because when he moves his feet, as Ken Hitchcock has said, he's a very effective player. Is when he's kind of gliding around the ice, is, is he's not. The thing I see about Drysaddle is that he's an elite finisher. Like it's 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 a it's an innate skill to get those opportunities. It's and it's another one to finish those off. We saw that one yesterday with Palm and Bill tripping all over himself, unable to score an empty net. He just has this calmness around the net to be able to almost slow the game down and find find the net and, and score the goals. And even on the one-timers, he's picking the corners on one-timers. It's not just how many times you see a guy fire one-timer and hit the goalie right in the crest. He doesn't hit goalies in the crest. He, he makes them make a big save on him. He, he's picking corners, and when he's in tight, he can lift the puck up in tight. So he's got that great innate ability to finish, and that's something that not a lot of players do. A lot of players kind of panic when they're in those situations. The game seems to slow down for him. So... Obviously, playing with Connor McDavid and playing with with a talented player like that, and getting those setups helps. But I think he's still got to ring the bell when he's in those positions. I think if you're a def- if you're a team on the power play, you're probably thinking, "Give us a break here." You've got two of the seven best point producers in the league killing a penalty against us. You're not trying to kill it; you're trying to score on it, and they did. You know, McDavid. I don't know if we, you know. We all grew up playing hockey, and lots of People play pickup hockey or junior hockey. You can't believe how difficult a play that was that Connor McDavid made a pass in his feet. He's going f- fast, and he kicks it right up onto his stick. And then, in, you know, before you can get to MC and McDavid, it's over to Drysaddle, it's in the net. That's NHLers, a lot of, most NHLers can't make that, make that play, and that's the best player league in the world, and, and Connor made it look easy. Yeah, I would actually say that Drysaddle's, his puck handling skills are elite. It's not just his finish. Clearly, he's been getting fed from McDavid for some of this. But he makes some incredible passes himself as well. He's quite the saucer deliverer. Yeah, he's got great vision. And I've long contended he's the best backhand passer in the league. He passes the puck better on his backhand than any other player in the league. And I think part of that is because he, he has a relatively big blade and a very relatively sh- straight blade. You see Sidney Crosby has a very straight blade uh, for that ability as well. And I would put Dreisaitl 1, Crosby 2 in that. In just that aspect alone, just his ability to make that that backhand pass and, and put it right on the tape. And I think you're right. He's got great vision and great ability to make the pass 
Um, when you put it all together, you got a, a very, very good hockey player. Well, and he's going to finish with about the same number of goals as assists, and that's usually not the way it is in the NHL. Like Kucherov is leading the league in scoring, but he's got, you know, twice as many uh, assists, more than twice as many assists as goals. Um, you know, Leon could be a, you know, 45, 45 guy, you know, a 90-point player. And his backhand is... You'll get an argument from the guys in San Jose. Joe Thornton's a pretty good backhand passer too, and he's been doing it for a long time. So, but yeah, he's. And when you when you score goals, it makes it easier to play. Because if you're just a passer, the other the defenders, especially the defensemen, play. Figure all oh, he's only passing. I don't have to worry about him shooting. But when you can score too, then it it doubles the the trouble for the uh, defenseman. What did you see from Drysaddle those two games when McDavid was suspended? Um, you know, when they played Anaheim, the first game, and uh, you know, I thought Leon obviously his play didn't suffer. If anything, he stepped in to fill the void. Uh, you're right. I, you know, they keep saying that um, this is McDavid's team, and I guess it is McDavid's team if he is the the most exciting and. Uh, perhaps the best player in the league you get an argument on Crosby and stuff but uh, I, th- I think he likes a challenge now and I think he's he's feeding off um, his success and when Connor was gone I really think he just said okay I'll, I'll take the bull by the horns and he certainly did in Nashville I mean he was outstanding in Nashville he was the best player in the ice by a country mile and uh, that that improves his resume too when when a star player like McDavid is out and you can still play well. It's much the same as Malkin and Crosby in Pittsburgh. They've had a lot of situations where one player's out and the other player has to carry the team, and they've been able to do it. And if you can do it, if, if Leon can do it without uh, McDavid, that it just increases uh, his value, um, not only to the Oilers, but in terms of winning awards and, and perhaps one day winning a scoring title. You find it stunning that it's been 31 years since an order scored 50 goals in the year. And even that season, Craig Simpson was traded from Pittsburgh to Edmonton, so his totals are with both teams. He scored 56 for the Oilers that season, his first year between Pittsburgh and Edmonton. Why the, is it taking that the long? League changed. The league changed for a while. Though. The scoring went True. way down. Like Just a 50-goal score in the league was hard to find. It was, you know, there was one time Unless you were Brett Hall. Yeah, and there was <laughs> one time where you'd have two, three, four guys to get to that mark. Now, it's hard to get to that mark, and I think the the league changed, and you know you can make the argument it diluted a little bit. With you know, there it was a time where you'd have three real scoring lines and a checking line. Now you could make an argument, and you have one, maybe two scoring lines and two checking lines. So it, it, it's it's changed, but now they kind of rewrote some rules to kind of increase the scoring and increase things like that, and. And that's probably one of the big reasons why. Yeah, but three decades to have like, the, the last guy to score 40 before McDavid did it last year was Klima in, what, 92? I mean, that's incredible to me. Well, there's only been five players score 50 goals in the last decade. Really? And Ovechkin's got got it five times, and Stamkos has got it twice. I think Corey per- Perry did it once. So only five different players have scored 50 goals in the last 10 years. So mm. um, it's difficult. Uh, scoring is way up. You know, certainly the top ten in scoring is going to be way higher this year than it's been in in many a year, uh, with several 100-point players. I think, 
But scoring goals is still difficult, and it's even more difficult now with the way teams um, video other teams and, and the way, you know, checkers back check and stuff. It's difficult to, to get 50, but you're right. Back in the day when the owners were great, I mean, they had to get four guys in one team score 50 goals, you know, and we thought nothing of it. Now it's, uh, I can remember when Jimmy Carson got 49 the year he, you know, he got traded for Gretzky, and uh, we didn't even think that was a great year. He got 49 <laughs> goals. We just figured, yeah, it was a pretty good year, and he got 49, and he wasn't that great a player. You know, speaking of scoring goals, um, Zach Cassian recently got double digits um, on the road trip here. Now he has 11, I believe, on the year. But he's only the fifth Oilers forward, you know, after McDavid, Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins, and uh, Alex Chason to have that many goals. And, you know, Zach Cassian's game has, uh, you know, has been, he's been, has elevated it here over the last month or two. Um, there was talk about he, him being a potential chip to play at the trade deadline for the Oilers. Tell me about Zach Cassian and and what he's been doing to score and be effective. Well, he's playing he's on a, McDavid's line well, for starters. I think the thing with Cassian, Cassian was a highly touted prospect coming in because he's big and strong, could skate and had good hands. And I think we're seeing that right now. I think the the problem with Cassian is his play has been very inconsistent, and sometimes he just goes missing and nothing happens with him. But I think right now you're seeing a guy that is playing on top line minutes and he's playing with some talented players and he's showing off that he does have some good hands for a big guy and he, and he can keep up. And that's all, that was always the big thing with Cassian is physically he has the ability to play with some of those big, big players or some of those high end players. But I think it was just a matter of, of putting him in those situations and sometimes he just gets lost. And I think that was the big thing with Cassian. The thing about Jack Cassian, I mean, he was taken in the draft before Taylor Hall, 09 draft, if I'm not mistaken. And he was a top 10 uh, draft pick. He was, was he taken 9th or 10th by Buffalo that year? I mean, yeah, I know he's came with the toolbox, but it's taken 10 years. And it's not to say he hasn't shown, you know, flashes of that in his career with the Edmonton or even throughout his NHL career, because we did, you know, a couple of years ago in the playoff run, he was an important player for the Oilers. And you do see it, his puck handling abilities are, and his skating are certainly very good. Um, but, you know, here we are, you know, uh, I guess not every high-end junior player ends up being a, you know, top six forward in the NHL, obviously. Um, you know, there are plenty of drafts where, you know, your first-round pick doesn't end up being an impact player. Well, in his case, he was picked where he was because he could skate and he could fight and he had some pretty good hands and I think for the most part he's I think he's settled for being an NHLer and obviously he had some problems off the ice for several years uh, in Vancouver and then in Montreal before he got to Edmonton before he you know he straightened you know his his life off off the ice but I think he settled for just being a penalty killer fourth line player and I think he's got better ability than that. He, he really should be a third-line right winger if he can score 11 to 15 goals. He should, and he's got 11 now. Um, the goal he scored last night was like a Leon Dreisaitl goal, a one-timer and a, and a pretty hard pass from Connor that skipped and he rifled it right by 
the Buffalo goaltender. So that looked like a guy who was a first-round draft pick. So he's got the ability to play with better players, as he did with the Sedins uh, in Vancouver every now and then. His problem is consistency. I, I don't know whether that's getting satisfied and comfortable and not working as hard to get to that spot, playing with the better players or what, but really, I mean, he should be a third-line player in today's NHL if he can skate and score between, you know, 11 to 15, and he's got 11 now, so um, good on him. He's, you know, he's taken the chance, and a lot of guys, you know, play with Connor and, and don't do it, so, and he is doing it, and, uh, Everything he did last night was right except missing the net on that one chance and the puck went around the net and Buffalo came down on a three-on-one and Michael scored. But other than that, uh, he's doing a lot of things right. Well, I remember suggesting Cassian should play on the top line or top two lines with give him some time with Connor McDavid a year ago, two years ago. And I got kind of berated on Twitter for making such a crazy suggestion. But the reason I saw it is because he can skate. He's a guy that can keep up and he can... From A to B, he gets there, and like I said, he's also got some pretty soft hands for a big guy. So I thought, well, put him out there, see what he can do with him. And he also won a guy that, you know, hey, Lutrich was supposed to be that guy that no one, yeah, I'm on McDavid's line, no one's gonna mess with McDavid. Well, if you Cassian on that line, he does the same thing, but he can be effective offensively, and I think we're seeing that right now. Another player, uh, Andre Sakura, he came back. What was it? A couple of weeks now. He's been back in the lineup. What kind of a difference have you seen in the orders since he's returned? Uh, more calm in the back end, and it's given uh, uh, Matt Benning a regular partner. And Matt's game, I think, has been quite good the last uh, several weeks. Uh, this is obviously Secker's way better this year coming back from his his Achilles inju- injury than he was la- the year before where he was coming back from a torn ACL with a brace on. His skating's better. Um He's able to get back to pucks, you know. He's he's more sure of himself, and I think as as the games wear on, his minutes will go up. He's they're still, you know, only giving him you know 15 minutes a game total, th- you know, 13 to 15, not closer to 20, which he's he's used to. But now you can you can put him out killing a penalty if one of your penalty killers defenseman is in the box, like you know a Russell or somebody like that. So I think. Uh, it, it's not a trade, but it's c- kind of like getting a, another defenseman who you can play every game. And right now the owners have six defensemen that are playing every game, and um, it makes it easier on the coach. The Bakersfield Condors recently uh, had their 17, uh, you know, they had their winning streak ended at 17, which is pretty, <laughs> pretty remarkable. Um, and we'll see what happens here for that team in the rest of the year. And obviously, you look at and see what they did, and you wonder how many of these players can come up to the Oilers at some point in time next season, season after, and fill holes for them. Um, we already have seen a few AHL players, you know, recently Josh Curry, um, Brad Malone, etc., come up and play. Caleb Jones, um, but what does a streak like that do for a team, even in the AHL? And how does it translate to up here? I guess it remains to be seen. We're not talking about any potential Connor McDavid's down there, 
but we are hopefully seeing some potential third liners, fourth liners. What is Tyler Benson? What is he projected to be? Well, this is the thing. I think, you know, it's great what the Bakersfield's Connors are doing, but just because you have a good AHL team doesn't mean you're eventually going to have a good NHL team. You're looking at roster, and you go, okay, maybe this guy will make it. Maybe They have maybe four or five guys that might be able to become NHL players. So you really kind of have to take that success with a grain of salt. It may not transfer here. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it, 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 it's just a matter that you have some veterans and you have some good AHL players doesn't necessarily mean those good AHL players are going to become good NHL players. It's it's kind of like if you have a good junior basketball team, does that mean that you're going to have a good senior basketball team? Not necessarily, because sometimes those guys don't make that transition to the next level. So it's great for the Bakersfield Connors. I think it's exciting for the franchise to have this type of success, but I wouldn't put too much stock in it. You look at that roster, and, and I don't think they have a goal, a score in the top 25 in, in scoring in the AHL. So they're they're doing it by committee. There's not one guy that's doing it. I think if anything to get excited about is their goaltender because their goaltender is playing lights out. So maybe he's a guy that suddenly you can pencil in as a backup next year uh, and, and bring up and, and he's developing quicker. But I, I wouldn't I wouldn't translate success in the NHL to success in the NHL by any means. Although it's there seem to be covering two bases down in the minors. Not only are they developing some players, but they're also winning. And that's always, it's a very fine line to walk as a minor league coach. You're supposed to develop and you're supposed to win too. And often the two don't go together um, because you have too many young players. And I think the revelation is that obviously Jay Whitcroft's a pretty good coach. You know, the jury was out on Jay as to whether he was just a career assistant coach We'd worked with Todd McCullen for a long time in, in Detroit as a, as a video coach when, on Mike Babcock's staff with Todd, then San Jose, then Edmonton, and people were wondering, okay, you're in your 40s now. Are you just going to be an assistant coach? And he went down to the minors, got his own team, and he's done a nice job. I mean, it, it helped that he got Dave Manson to work with a defenseman, and Dave you know, came from Prince Albert and has, has obviously done a nice job with with Caleb Jones and Lagason and Bear and the other defensemen down there. Uh, but I agree with Derek. I get, you look at minor leagues and you say, okay, how many of these players can be regular NHLers and how many are just call-up players? And I, think, I still think they feel that Yamamoto can be a, a top six winger, but he has to prove it in the minors that he's too good for that league. Uh, before that happens, and Benson, I think, should probably stay down there for the start of next year as well with uh, Marotti. Um, but next year, they're also going to have three more players. They're going to have, you know, perhaps Evan Bouchard on defense. They'll have uh, Ryan McLeod, the center, uh, down there, and maybe Maximoff, the goal scorer from the Ontario Hockey League. So that's three more young players to fit in, and so that's three more players to look at. I think they look, I think what they were looking at was players like Gambardella and and Russell and, and those sort of players who could come up and fill fourth line roles for cheaper money than they're paying fourth line players now um, and then worry about the offen offensive players some of those younger players down the road and hope that they could sign or trade for an established goal scorer this summer so but it's tough to overlook 17 wins in a row and they lost a game and came back the next game and won 5-2. So it wasn't like uh, the streak ended and then they started losing. So they are doing something right. 
The owners still have to hire a GM, but and assuming Hitchcock is not coming back next year, would Jay Woodcroft be a candidate to coach the owners? I don't think so. I, I, I'm, I'd be surprised if he's actually in the organization next year, to be honest with you. Um, he's done a good job in the AHL, but I think the GM is going to come in, and he's got his own guys, whoever he brings, whoever he brings. And I wouldn't rule out Hitchcock not coaching next year. I think um, if he wants to coach and the coach comes in and says, okay, I can't find a better candidate than this, take them on for a year, see what happens. Uh, I can see that. Jim would know better than I do. But I, uh, this year is either kind of fired, stoked the fire, and can Hitchcock keep coaching, or has either cemented the fact that maybe he does, doesn't have it in doesn't have the heart to do it anymore and put in those long hours, but I, I wouldn't count him out. I think he's having fun still. I agree he's having fun. I mean, it's agony a lot of days, misery, as he says, you know, with <laughs> winning and losing. I still think he likes coaching. He likes being around the rink, and you're around the rink as a coach. It's tough having a lot of input when you're an advisor, you know, when you're going to watch the minor league team play, so... Um, I have no idea who they're going to hire as, co- as a general manager. Usually the general manager likes his own guy. Um, but, you know, there's not, nothing to say that he couldn't, you know, test drive Ken for a year and then see who's, who else is out there. Um, you know, if you get a young general manager coming in who was an assistant GM somewhere else, usually they would like a young coach as well, somebody they know whether you're McCrimmon or Mark Hunter or, or, you know, anybody else, you know, Norm McIver, Bill Guerin, anybody like that who's an assistant GM that would like a younger coach, but um, I don't know. And in Jay Woodcroft's case, um, I think he's got a taste for being a head coach, but it would surprise me not one bit if Todd McClellan got a job next year and Jay Woodcroft was on his staff somewhere else. And I, I think Todd McClellan can coach the the. L.A. Kings if he wants the job because Rob Blake was the captain of the team when Todd was coaching in San Jose so I think he could probably get that job um, if Buffalo misses the playoffs uh, maybe that o- there's an opening there too after two years with uh, Phil Housley so but you know the GM thing is going to be going on for quite some time and I found it very interesting that you know I know George McPhee says, well, you're not talking to Kelly McCrimmon until our season's over. So, you know, you this isn't like uh, some other sports, uh, you know, like, you know, you can talk to baseball or something. Your team's in a World Series and teams are talking to your bench coach or, you know, or the NFL where teams are in the playoffs and you're talking to the linebacker coach from the Patriots because he's going to coach your team. So in hockey, a lot of times they want their – their season over before you talk to to their personnel. You know, I should have tried to work it in before, and there's probably more recent examples. So I was going to bring up John Cooper, you know, coach of the Lightning. He coached in the AHL, I'm not even sure how long. Norfolk team, didn't they have a really long streak, winning streak a few years ago, back when he was a young wet behind the ears minor league coach 28 games or whatever anyway but the 92-93 Cape Breton Oilers they won the Calder Cup that year and I went and looked at the roster coached by George Burnett who ended up being the Oilers head coach what two seasons later but didn't last very long but you know that roster in Cape Breton this is 26 years ago you know had 
some serviceable NHLers, many of which didn't play that long with the Oilers, like Sean Van Allen, Sean Podine, etc. Um, on and on. I wrote down was my list here. You know, Kirk Maltby played with that team as well. I mean, so who knows? I mean, I'm not saying that the Bakersfield Connors are going to win the Calder Cup this year, but you know, if history means anything. There might be a few players well, out of there. Yeah, there might. And I think there, there'll there be three or four guys that might make Well, in John roster. Cooper's team, there was four guys on that team. Palat and Tyler Johnson and, and Panic And uh, I think Gudas, the defenseman, was on that team, too, that, you know, when they got the 28-game streak. Um, so that's four players out of a team that won the Caller Trophy and had 28 straight wins. So that's the only four players that made it to Tampa Bay you know, as regulars. So, you know, it's difficult. Um, but in today's game, the problem is you sign these players to long to rich contracts in the NHL. You'd like to bring up lots of minor league players to fill out, but you're, you're locked into some of these players for long-term contracts at, you know, $4 million, $5 million and up. And while you'd like to fit in some younger players, you know, in your salary cap, there's just not room for them, for very many of them. There's room for usually bottom six players, but not your high-end players are making all that money. It's difficult to bring up a young guy and when you're paying all the other guys $4 million and up to play in the top six. I forgot to mention Ian Herbers was on that Cape Breton team too. Probably a leader and probably a puck-moving phenom if I remember Ian Herbers. Shut down, I'm sure. That's our Oil Spills podcast for today. You can listen to our show via iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. SoundCloud.